everybody, welcome back to Contest Prep University. Joe Klimzeski and Adam Atkinson. Uh, Adam, this morning, one of my students who is getting ready for the exam to become a certified physique, sport, and transformation coach through NAMS, National Academy of Metabolic Science, she doesn't have an extensive background personally in competition. And so as she was preparing for the exam, she sent me an email and said she was kind of stuck, like really racking her brain, trying to figure out what meals would be best for contest day. So this is a hypothetical case study that she's using as a practice case study for the exam. And uh, I, and I thought, man, what a, what a great question. And I know we've talked about it in different contexts through the years, but when you look at the entire peaking process, the last week or two, and then especially contest day, I think most people follow the template I created 25 years ago in that, you know, once you get to contest day, you definitely want your meals planned. You're not winging it. You're not just, quote, tracking macros. But at, at this time, meal one, meal two, meal three, pre-pump up, that kind of thing. You've got everything mapped out. Of course, there are going to be adjustments made. But to this student's question, how do you decide? And you and I will agree that some of the shallow, superficial, one-trick pony coaches probably do have a literal template. You know, this is what I want you to eat for this meal. This is how much. And every client gets that protocol. What I told my student is it's a lot easier than you think because I'm going to back up to the beginning of the week, but on contest day, you want to make sure that they're eating foods that they're used to, that their body is not going to have any kind of allergic reactions to, or even food sensitivity issues. And, and you really want it to seem uh, pretty routine for the body. You, you want it to be seamless. So for example, I said, if this particular client that you're peaking and you're creating this hypothetical peak week, if, if this was Friday and you know what they consumed, you know what their meals were, and ostensibly they might be, be on location of the show they had to travel for, so they've got all their food, the same food sources, uh, you know, if, if you have done any kind of a progressive linear load, or even if you're doing kind of a rapid back load or, or whatever your plan is, you're probably not going to have that much of a quantity difference between the day before and contest day. Maybe you do want to err on being a little bit tighter. Maybe you're still kind of ramping up into fullness, but it's still not going to be that dramatically different. So you can basically just say, okay, here's what you had Thursday, Friday. If the contest is Saturday, it's going to be pretty similar, especially with the same food sources. But I know with digestion being an issue, as well as those kind of consistency um, contexts that I'm describing, when you are planning a peak week in advance, two weeks prior or so, or a week at least before peak week, a few days before peak week starts, uh, how detailed do you get with the actual foods? Like e even the week out, seven days, six days, five days, are you asking clients to be pretty routine or are they still pretty flexible with what they're eating? How do you like to manage that? Yeah, we do ask them not to rotate their foods too much during that week, especially as long as digestion's good and we're not mitigating anything into the home stretch, which is, you know, hopefully the case, right? And hopefully they're ready early. 
So one of the things we do is we ask our clients for a food log the first two days of peak week so I can start formulating their show day meal plan based on what they're currently eating and even also how they look. So with travel being concerned, sometimes the show day needs to come a little bit earlier, but I typically do not like to send it until about Thursday. So then it's really cut and dry and it's exactly what they need. I like as little modifications to that sheet or the serving sizes as possible on show day, just so there's no confusion on anything. But you're definitely right. Like there's one trick ponies out there that are giving clients something they've never eaten before, which is certainly a really big risk. And it seems to have transcended down into the bikini division, which is funny because I could maybe see a bodybuilder who has cut a drastic amount of weight needing to fill out more the day before. But some of these weird protocols, I'll call them, have made it into bikini show day plans for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, it, it's certainly just what they know as coaches. They don't have the systems, the education, the experience to do anything else. And so it just becomes that very almost superstitious level of, you know, this is the the, the magic talisman. This is how we do it. Um, but I, I, I will go a, a step further back in saying, as I'm helping a client get ready for peak week, uh, I, I guess I have to actually check myself. It, this, this preparation for today's episode made me think, you know, I, I don't know if I'm remiss in bringing this up with every single client. I, I assume most clients have a decent routine. They're not waking up every day wondering what they're going to eat. You know, they, they know what works for them. Uh, but it is it is important, and this is my my point to self is to make sure we're talking about you know finding out what really works. Let's get rid of things that are a little extraneous or risky, and and then let's roll in with something that we know is is very very stable, creating the best GI regularity. Uh, of course, we always consider you know things that can travel well if you have to. You don't want all of a sudden a day or two before the contest be completely switching foods as you mentioned. Uh, so some of those things you might want to integrate sooner. Uh, it can actually take up to a month or so, even longer, for the gut microbiome to adjust to significant changes. So those are things to consider. And you know, as the you know person who brought flexible dieting to the mainstream, it's funny, maybe ironic for me to talk about needing a lot of structure and eat the same things on a regular basis. But for this process and for this reason, it's it's pretty important. Um, one little anecdote, another client of mine messaged this morning and said, Hey, you know how, you know, weight didn't change last week. And, and I said, my GI system was kind of upset and it just, it just wasn't really feeling well. She said, I, I was eating too much fiber. So I reduced this food and that food. And now I feel much better. And I dropped two pounds. Well, those are the kind of things you don't want to have happening, you know, three days before a contest. So this is, this is the chance to really, as a competitor, you know, decide what what foods work best, what meals, and and then ride that into the contest. Absolutely. I had an interesting peak last year towards the end of the year with two clients that were at the same show. And uh, there's a, a bread out there called uh, Sarah Lee. It's like four carb bread. Well, my one client 
she had really high intake and got really lean. She was at like 170 grams of carbs in her low lowest part of the diet, maybe 40 minutes of cardio. You know, one of those dream scenarios that you don't run into. Well, we got to her peak week. She was eating that Sarah Lee bread where her, I'll call her teammate, I had seen a lot of slowdown. We wondered what was going on. Her carbs got really low. I want to say she was at 100, if not um, below 100 carbs for a short period of time. And uh, so they get there on show day. And with, with my girl who had the higher carb intake and was eating the Sarah Lee bread as well, I... I had her keep it in because I said it was just too late to change it in the game. So naturally, when she saw what her teammate was eating, which was something I told her to remove a few weeks ago, she was like, why does she get to eat that? And I don't. And I said, honestly, I'd like her to remove it. But it was part of her structure at that point in time. And I just felt more comfortable keeping it in versus replacing it. And I said, probably by the next show, we'll stick to something more trackable, but uh, just too late in the game to change it. So we kind of had a good backstage laugh about that. In that particular food, because this is a this is a great point. I do want to discuss what you and I would call safe foods, good foods, maybe risky ones to just completely avoid. And, and any of these you could try, you should try personally. But just remember, it does take for some foods a, a certain amount of acclimation to digest them well anyway. You know, a lot of food changes right off the bat, which could be fine with a little introductory time, you know, are just going to show up as, as problematic. Uh, but with that particular bread being a low-carb bread, I'm assuming it has a high amount of, you know, weird filler fiber kind of stuff. Were you having problems with that client digesting it well or not? It wasn't an issue with the digestion. We just had stalls in progress and we noticed she was uh, the client that wasn't losing as quickly. When she removed it, she started losing weight faster. And when you look at the carb difference between that and any other bread on the market, you just know that it's too good to be true. Um, another one, and I'll call them out because they've had freaking like five times to try to fix this is the freaking Bam Body Brownies. Like they just got called out again for like the fifth time. I'm like, I don't even care. Like you guys don't give a shit. So like, don't eat that stuff. You know, it's just bad. It's been going on for, I remember this being an issue like 10 years ago. Yeah. And they never change. And I'm just like, screw it. Like, don't eat that shit. You know? <laughs> You know, e even for foods, which in their case, I'm sure they're not regulated, but e even foods that are subject to the FDA, uh, a, a, you know, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction <clears throat> of a fraction of a percent ever get tested. But even if they are compliant with with label laws, of course, you have 20 percent leeway under or over. So you could be 20% less in reality on your protein, 20% more on your carbs or fat. And, and to your point about that particular product, I've seen other ones as well get independently tested um, and, and end up three, four times higher in fat, twice as high on carbs. And so 
any kind of a processed food, anything that's coming in a package that that is outside the realm of whole food that you can reproducibly, you know, uh, prepare at home, it's just a risk. And those are the kind of things as you did with that client, you know, we're not losing kind of stalled out. Let's start looking at individual food choices. And that becomes the, the probable, probable cause. Uh, and, and that's why for the peaking process, I'm very interested in being pretty bland, pretty routine, pretty systematic. So uh, let's let's stay with carbs for a second. Uh, just like my client who was having too much fiber and that was causing an issue, too little fiber can cause an issue. So you always want to make sure you're looking at your 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 total quantity, amount of servings per day, how many times you're eating it, uh, but also the type of fiber. So for the people out there who think, oh, it, you know, I'm eating healthy, I'm eating clean, I'm a competitor, some of these foods, if I just want to get fuller from a volumetric standpoint, of course, I could eat all of the lettuce I want. I can have gigantic salads. I can have these green beans or some asparagus. And it adds up. It's it's literal calorie content, but even, even in insoluble fiber is going to get converted in the large intestine into fatty acids and uptake it back into the liver and all that. Um, but just some of the some of the bulk itself and the amount of time that your body is is dealing with the parasympathetic nervous system aspect of digestion can slow down fat loss. Uh, it just it just takes you out of that mode of lipolysis. So those are the kind of things that you really have to think about being being super specific with your food intake during peak week. So I, I would start with just making sure that every client is is very systematic with their fiber intake. It's, they've got good GI regularity. They're not seeing bloating, gassiness, and that sort of thing. But what other kinds of carb sources from starch or fruit do you like to see people, you know, staying consistent with? Let's let's not get all this weird stuff, but but here are some really safe bets for peak week. Yeah, one thing we haven't talked about yet is um, those clients that have nearly hardly any carbs towards the end of their prep, they just make it in time for the show. What kind of carb do you add in? And rice seems to be one of the most easily digestible starches you can get. Um, I know a lot of RDs that that's one of the safest foods that they put on somebody's you know, dietetics plan. Another one I like to use is uh, white potato or even sweet potato. Um, you can actually cook and cool it and increase the resistant starch, which is really good for the gut microbiome. So if you want to be ultra careful, you can have someone cook and cool it and then cook and cool it again. Now, one thing to get straight, that does not make the calories free, there's a lot of people that think that they're kind of like the flat earth people of the nutrition industry. But um, I, I would say rice and potato tend to be my go-to for those. Mm. Well, and, and I would be completely identical to that. You know, rice is one of the most non-allergenic foods. It has octazinol, which makes it easier to digest. Uh, I don't mind brown rice or any other kind of rice, but white rice is fine. I mean, the glycemic index value is not that dramatic. Uh, I, I don't tend to really see a difference between sweet potato and regular potato, but some people feel like 
the little extra fiber and sweet potato makes that an issue, but again, doesn't matter. Uh, if somebody is used to eating and it's very predictable and what their GI response is, I don't mind a certain amount of oatmeal. Uh, I typically like still, I, I don't, I don't force people to, but I don't disallow fruit up to a certain amount of your cat, your, your carb intake and fruit is totally fine. Also very digestible. Typically, uh, you're going to also get the, the enzymes from that. Um, you're, you're, it, it's just a very clean food, a lot, a lot of soluble fiber. So without the gut load and potential, a problematic bulk, you can end up increasing your bowel motility because you've got a little extra fruit in your diet. So absolutely, uh, rice, potatoes, fruit, maybe a little oatmeal. I, I definitely do like to see people get away from some things that just may be an issue. You know, not that I think they are, but if you can avoid wheat products, who knows if you have a even a minor little gluten sensitivity that could be an issue. Um, you know, I know I just said oatmeal is fine, but again, if, if that's a consideration, then you could drop that too. But at this point, to me, it's all about predictability and uh, digestive consistency and, and normalcy. So, um, man, I, I can't really think of anything. When you get into some of those, as you talk, talk about that bread, you know, the low carb breads, the fake bread products, the, the wraps, tortillas, things like that. Again, in a pinch, if you are already using them, and you know you're not having a problem with with them uh, internally, then that's fine. But I, I do prefer the whole foods. Absolutely, they're usually your safest bet. Yeah. So, so what about protein sources? What uh, uh, I, I know, just any basic animal meat, you know, chicken breast, turkey, that kind of thing, is is going to digestively be similar and about the same. But do, do you see people having a problem with with eggs or egg whites? Um, is that something that you you see as a consideration during the peaking process? I'd say that's one of the largest like food sources that has potential to change. And the reason I think it is, is I've had two or three clients during prep. They just stopped tolerating eggs. And I think bodybuilders tend to eat a ton of them. And you just hammer those same enzymes over and over and over again. And they don't get enough time to repopulate as much to break that food down. There seems to be a different with, uh, and maybe you know why, the pasteurized egg whites and then just regular. So for whatever reason, if I have someone switch, that might buy them a little more time. This is very rare, but I've seen it happen. And I think it's just eggs are in almost everything that we eat too. So I think it's one of the common, you know, short-term intolerances people develop during a prep. Really, really funny you say that. Um, so we have chickens. My wife loves her chickens. And so we have these great, you know, organic eggs and so forth. And uh, it's it's always been odd to me. I, I should have looked this up years ago. But for foods, protein should not cause flatulence. It's not like you're getting those undigested fiber sources in your GI system that triggers anaerobic bacteria to process them and create methane gas. But the sulfuric smell, just, you know, to get kind of graphic here of, of eggs and egg whites, when you do have that kind of response in your lower GI, you know, we, we've all been around bodybuilders who have like egg farts, right? Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty significant. Um, 
And, and so to, to me, that's just one of those things to know about your body. You know, if, if, if I know that's the reaction I'm getting, probably not a good idea to use those in my, in my diet. Um, but it, it does make me curious to think, you know, here's my particular source. And then if I'm going into, uh, you know, New York city to compete and I'm buying a dozen eggs down the road, you know, is that going to be a difference? You know, it may, um, I don't know that's, it is a question mark. So it may be something to consider. Yeah. And sometimes just bodybuilders in general tend to consume a lot of sulfur in general. So that's not completely uncommon, especially if someone's just slamming way too much protein. They're going to have that higher sulfur content. Mm -hmm. So any other foods though, like, are, are you like me in that from beef to chicken to turkey, et cetera, like, like, do you see a difference? I, I just never really consider that an issue with, with consistency or digestion. Only if there's a allergy. Um, I had a client who was allergic to chicken, believe it or not. But um, because turkey is in a different species, he could, you know, because you wonder, can you have turkey? They're pretty close. But the species difference was enough for him to be able to consume it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, like I said, I, I wouldn't necessarily consider that like a, a big problem. Um, but um, you know, Mark, call. Uh, somebody's trying to knock on my door here. Um, let Let me go ahead and pause this for a second, Adam. I yeah, no I, problem. I can do that, and then I will. Uh, I, I can edit this. Okay, well, let's let's turn to fat. And um, again, I, I, this is kind of a non sequitur for me because a lot of people aren't adding, you know, fat sources. If they're getting something from, let's say, a lean beef, or if they are somebody who is consuming eggs and they want some egg yolks, it's probably something they've already had in there. Um, but they're just, it's just usually not something that's causing any kind of GI disruption unless it's too much overall fat and not enough starch, but that would probably be something you already know. But are, are there any specific foods that you're saying do or do not consume? You're, you're allowing or discouraging things like nut butters or certain oils or anything, anything that you do differently? Yeah, I, I think a big one here is I've had clients up their fish oil, like, and then they tell me about it to try to hit their fats. So you definitely don't want to do that. Um, meaning like the capsules, like if you eat more salmon, that's not going to be a big deal, but definitely don't take like fish oil supplements to do that. Um, I don't really add any new oils or anything like that. I usually just try to buy like fattier food content or stick to like your avocado, your peanut butter, whatever it was you were using to hit your fats in the first place. Fats aren't often talked about in peak week, but they can really help you hold a certain state of condition in terms of, you know, if you have your carbs set and you're kind of chasing the metabolism up, the fats can really help you kind of hang on to the load a little bit more. And I think people tend to go carbs, 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 and don't really up the fats enough sometimes in peak week. Well, you said that perfectly and, and very nuanced in that you said to hold the carb load. You didn't say to load because I've seen some people say, hey, my coach wants me to eat two jars of peanut butter to load the day before the show. 
well, what's 400 grams of fat going to do for glycogen levels? Like absolutely nothing. You know, when you have enough calories in a certain bolus of food, a certain meal time, any extra fat is just instantly stored as fat, instantly stored as fat. Doesn't turn into glycogen, doesn't do anything else. Uh, but to your point, if you feel like insulin sensitivity or, or just gut load and potential digestion because of too much carbohydrate could be an issue, you can increase your fat modestly and then that becomes glycogen sparing. You know, now, as you said so eloquently, you're just holding on to those carbs in between meals a little bit better. Um, but on contest day, let's let's finish up with this. Uh, do you agree with me that what you ate the day before, what you ate the day before that, probably going to be virtually all you need on contest day? Or do you have any secret magical foods that you you give your clients? The only thing I'll do different is they may get a little bit of sugar pump up depending on how fasted they are prior. I'm I'm not looking to increase the client's fullness by half a candy bar or a you know, I'm really known for the peanut butter cup because of you. You know, it's just it's perfect. It's a little bit of sugar, it's a little bit of fat. And it's a good way to prime the pump and just make sure you're not pumping glycogen out of the muscle tissue. So that's one of the reasons we use that. But, you know, just like any game, you have to pivot. There's not a perfect play. Sometimes you have a client eat and then, holy crap, the show's moving quickly. Or they decide to skip a class because the makeup's not done and the artist is behind. And you may be pumping up from that meal you had, you know, an hour ago. And that's the smarter call. And I know some of my clients are disappointed when they don't get the candy then that we had kind of planned on. But I would rather, you know, I would rather use the right club at the right time versus just say, well, we're going to do this anyhow, because we said we were going to. I am so glad you said that. That is perfectly stated. Uh, and, and I agree. All this talk about consistency and normalcy and predictability. Um, I, I also don't consider a small amount of something innocuous like that. I, I would call it innocuous because it's mostly sugar. Even the people who want a little wine or a little tequila or something, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, you know, that's not like putting an entire 600 calorie meal in your gut and hoping that six hours later, you know, everything is still okay. It's very, very uh, time dependent in that you're 15 to 30 to 45 minutes away from the stage. You're looking for that very acute response in uh, sparing glycogen, like you said, so you're not pulling all the glycogen out of your muscle tissue. But still, if you don't have to use it, you don't have to use it. And if you do, then as a small amount as that little place filler to get you through the pump up process and maintain you by the time you're you're done pumping up and now you're waiting in the wings and you're standing backstage and all that. You know, there's, a, there's a bit of time there that some of that food that's entering your GI system, entering your stomach, just started to get assimilated through the small intestine. Like timing wise, that can still be appropriate, but that's not the ball game. That's not what is going to make or break you on stage it's it's just that that get through time period. So I, I totally totally agree. And, and those are you know those do become a little cliche, like you said. 
uh, you know, peanut butter and rice cakes or, you know, 20 years ago for me, you used to see all my clients with a slice of pizza because I wanted the sodium hit first and then a little bit of the, the you know, simple carbs and all that stuff and the fat. Um, other people have different mechanisms, the peanut butter cup for sure. So there are some things that I say, you know, let's let's pick something that you do have some experience with and you think you'll digest well. But it's it's all about just having a few extra tools in the toolbox or a couple extra clubs in the bag. Uh, but yeah, it's it's going to be still very routine meals throughout that process. Uh, so so no surprises from you then other than that, not, nothing extra that you have people bring. I really don't like if they're really that flat, we might do like a, a larger meal or something more voluminous, but it, it would usually be the day before the show versus on show day. Mm -hmm. Even little things like you and I um, maybe suggesting or asking for some extra sodium without a lot of other, you know, food content with that. So sometimes, as I think you've said in the past, you'll use just a little salt like under the tongue or mix it in your water, mix it with a little Gatorade or something. Um, if you have somebody do something like uh, a pickle or some potato chips, again, pretty benign. I don't think that's going to cause any kind of a, a reaction that's going to make you all of a sudden change how you look. It, I mean, the sodium will supersede that. But similar to you, it's just, you know, a couple little extra things and let's let's major on the majors. Yeah, the pickle was something I used to use. It was uh, actually something I'd have my clients pack. But uh, honestly, I had two people pack jars and spill. And at that point, I just stuck to the dry salt. It's just easier to pack typically. Yeah. All right. Well, Adam, awesome information. Uh, high utility, as we like to be helpful for uh, our viewers and listeners. And any of you guys uh, still watching, if you have not heard about or you've not inquired about our Contest Prep University D1 Club. Uh, it's a private group that we we do this kind of stuff privately for those members, and they can interact. They're they're part of the conversation. Uh, we also have a separate group in an app so that we can even chat during the week. So if you have a coach or you are uncoached and you simply want some extra people looking over your shoulder, uh, our member peers are very active. Uh, let us know. Check it out. It's only three bucks a month. But we'll see you guys next time in Contest Prep University.